Hi, I'm Mary Lyons, the Wealth Woman. And I'm Eric Alexander with Benchmark Income Group. Welcome to the Big Wealth Podcast. So today we are super excited. We're going to play a game that we've been playing for probably 12, 15 years now. Uh, but it's one, of my, it's one of my favorite games. Uh, we're going to walk through what we call the income game, basic, which is basically where do you rank as far as your income? And then really have a conversation around what it means to have a growth mindset as it, as it relates to really everything, but particularly finance. So let's start with this. I think one of the things that's absolutely key as we are um, trying to make decisions about our own finances is understanding context. Where, where is your income in terms of the national averages or um, in terms of your peers for that matter? And, right. and having that context, I think frequently changes the way people approach wealth building. And so I just wanna ask the question up front: do you think that your income is common or do you think it's uncommon? And we're gonna play a little game for you to find out. So I want you just for a minute as you are listening, to think about the entire US population by household. So let's start by defining household. A household is one housing unit. So that could right. be a single person in their 20s. It could be a single person in their 70s, um, 50s, whatever age group. It could be a husband and a wife that have no kids living in one household, or it could be an entire family living in one household. So when we think of household, it is not just one earner, although in some cases it is, it could be two earners, right. or it could be even more than that if you have more uh, earners in your household. But so if you think about that, um, the first question that we want to ask is what do you think someone, a, a household has to earn to be right in the middle at the 50% mark? So half of the households in the entire U.S. earn above this number and half of the households earn below this number. Yeah, and we frequently, yeah, we, we, get, we get guesses that are all over the map. And you okay. may, you know, as a listener, you may already know this information or you could be thinking, geez, I have no idea. Just take a wild stab at it. Don't overthink it. And don't Google it while we're playing the game either. This is the purpose <laughs> of this is to go with your, your gut reaction here because that's what we're measuring. And if you're driving, don't look down at your phone. <laughs> right. So the, uh, the second question that we're going to ask here is what does it take to be in the top 25%? So 75% of the households in the United States earn below this number. And 25% of the households in the United States earn above this number. Right. You want to do the next one, Eric? Yeah. And so this is this this one's a fun one because it starts to get into what we kind of feel is sort of rarefied air, but um, but this is the 10% number. So this is the idea that 10% of the population earn more than this number, and then 90% of the households in the US earn less than this number. So what what income would you need as a household at that 10% mark uh, for, for the 10% number? So spoiler alert. It's more than the people earning at the 25% bracket, just in case you didn't know that. Um, and then now that you've figured that one out, or now that you've kind of mentally wrote that down in your in your head or on a sheet of paper, now go to the next one. What does that what does it take to be in the top five percent? So five percent of the population earns more, 95% of the population earns 
and households in the U.S. earn less than this number. So this could be a single earner. It could be a dual earning household. Right. It could be a family, right? Now, what do you think it actually takes from an income perspective to be in the top 1% of all, earn of all households, regardless of age, in the entirety of the United States? Right. This is the 1% that we hear about on the news all the time. It includes right. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Oprah Winfrey, any number of people that we see in the media on a regular basis. All right. Now we're going to go through and do the big reveal. Get ready. In order to be at the 50% mark for the household, the number is 43,000. So half of the households in the United States make less than $43,614 a year. And then the other half of the households earn above that. So that could be, a single, is... could be a single earner. It could be a single mom raising, you know, four kids. It could be a dual income household. It could be uh, a single person who's working and supporting the entirety of their family. But that is that is right in the middle, right there. And, and the, the interesting part of this is it doesn't matter how much that'll buy you because this is the national average. So 43,000 and I'm making up states now, West Virginia might buy more or less things than 43,000 in Malibu, California. Right. But it's just the income. All right. To be in the top 25% of all earners by household, the number is 87,000. 44. So if you earn more than 87,000 a year as an individual, you are in the top 25% all by yourself. But again, these are household numbers. Right. So 75% of the population of by household earns less than 87,000 and 25% earns more than that. And what is it at 10? So here That's... there's a pretty big jump it jumps up to 151,935. So if you're kind of following along from 50 to 25, we saw roughly um, 100% jump. And then to get from 25 to 10, we're seeing roughly 100% jump as well. Not quite, but rough math. Right. So if you're in, if you, if you by yourself or combined with your spouse, if you're making more than 151, 152,000, I hope you're patting yourself on the back right now, because this is that rarefied air that, uh, that Eric just mentioned. Right. And then the fives. There you go. To be in the top 5% of earners by household, the number is 217,913. So if you're earning more than 217, 218 uh, in your household, that puts you in the top 5% of all households in the entirety of the United States. And now the big reveal that everyone has been waiting for, $540,009. So I'm just going to round down and call that 540. <clears throat> that is the income that your household needs to make in order to be in the top 1%. So here's, here's what I think is interesting in all of our conversations with clients, um, in that kind of range, the people who make between, 
um, I'll call it 87 or 90,000 for their household and that 540,000 number, right? So that, that, that range in there. If I ask you, and I want you to think about this answer for yourself, do you feel rich? Almost everybody I talk to in that space says, I don't feel rich, but maybe they feel comfortable, but they're looking at their neighbors and they're looking at the things that they want. And when you ask the question and answer it again for yourself, do you feel rich? The answer is frequently no. Here's what I'll tell you. If you are earning more than $150,000 um, per household, you have the potential to be rich, whether you feel that way or not, right? And even if you're earning less than that right now, if you do the right things, you still have the potential to be rich, to be part of the, the wealthy or the ultra wealthy, but it takes changing your mindset. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to read, um, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from a speaker I heard earlier this week. It is human nature to be scared of things that you have never heard of or that lack social proof. Right. I think that's incredibly true because I am also guilty of making purchases on Amazon based on the ratings that it has gotten, right? I'm looking for social proof that this is the- Crowdsourcing your purchasing. Exactly, right? But how many of us actually do that because it makes us feel safe? And the reality is when it comes to your finances, if I am crowdsourcing among my peers, I am going to be doing the things that my peers are doing. And if I actually want to move up in terms of my annual income, whether that's coming from passive sources or whether it's earned income, and if I want to create true, true wealth, rather than looking at what my neighbor is doing, right, I should be looking for advice from people who are in that top 1% if that is where I want to move, right? It is all about having a growth mindset. Right. Well, and the, the thing I find interesting on that side of it is I think if you're in that, I'm going to call it the 10% bracket there, you're, you're making 150. And, and that idea of, and I think you nailed it right. I don't, I may not feel rich by all objective standards you are, but you may not feel it, but you're comfortable. You can pay the bills. Hopefully if you've not gotten too out of, over your skis as far as expenses, but you're not worrying about where your next meal is coming from, but from where you are versus where everybody else is, if you really understand that number, to me, there's that sense of guilt that starts kind of creeping in. Like, what have I done with my wealth? What have I done with this opportunity? Am I taking advantage of it? Uh, and how do I know if I've taken advantage of it? How do I know if I'm where I should be on that side of it? Right. I think what's really interesting about this is, um, you know, I think I shared an article with you. Was that a week ago, two weeks ago? It was an article yeah. that I read um, specifically about, they called it the top 9.9%. Uh, so they yeah. eliminated the, the 0.1 at the very upper, upper echelon from the right. article itself. And they were focused on that 9.9% that comes right below that 0.1%. And, um, and the article itself, I'm going to, again, I'm going to stay away from the political side of things. Um, yeah. 
but it was really interesting to read in part because I think sometimes what happens is that rather than looking to people who are ahead of where we are right now, whether it's that 9.9 or whether it's the 0.1 that is truly the ultra wealthy, um, we tend to look at that. And rather than saying, how can I move my family up in the world? It is easy to look at it from the perspective of those people suck. They're doing terrible things, that sort of thing. And I'm not going to say that all those people are great people because I don't know all of them. Right. But the reality is regardless of where your income falls, there are things to be learned from people who have progressed beyond where you are. Right. Well, and and I think that's, that's, I think it's interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because if you really think about resentment, resentment has been with us since Cain and Abel. Right. Um, and it and it didn't work out so well for Abel on that side of it. But it, it's not a new thing to go look at people that are in a better spot than you and say, man, they, they must have done something uh, maybe nefarious or they're doing bad things to get there versus saying, what can I learn about what they're doing so that I can move into that space? Uh, right. It's hard to have that humility. Well, you, hum- you nailed it, right? So humility is the key here because, um, you know, there's a, there's something that you and I talk about, I think fairly frequently called the Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Yeah, no doubt. Which is the idea that <laughs> the smarter you are, the more you realize you don't know. And um, the less intelligent you are, the more you think you are competent in areas that you may not be, right? So I think humility and Dunning-Kruger sometimes go hand in hand, right? They're motivated. Dunning-Kruger, I think, is sometimes motivated by insecurity. And so um, this is the key is asking other people with an open mind, almost with that beginner's mindset, regardless of how far along you are, um, asking other people, you know, that are where you want to be what they did and how they got there and never shutting off or closing down to any ideas that feel new or different because frequently those are the ideas that really take off. Well, and it reminds me. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me, you, you and I've talked about Ted Lasso, I think 4 million times now that I've finally gotten on board and it was and it was funny, I, I watched both seasons already. I'm done with it. And I'm getting my wife watching through it now. I'm like, I'm going to watch this all over again just so I can be here when you watch it. And we just ended this episode where uh, he's doing this dart game. And so I'm not going to spoil the game, the, the episode for you. But he says, you know, it's really fascinating. And I think it was Walt Whitman that, that gave the quote, right? It's most people aren't curious, they're judgmental. And I think there's so much wisdom in that. It's like what suspend some of the disbelief or suspend some of the judgment. And if you can walk into every situation of what can I learn? How can I grow? Even if you're like, I'm not sure about this guy or this girl, like morally or ethically, or maybe I just don't care for them, but there's something I can learn from this interaction. What is it? Right. Um, I think it's, and, and so I think, I think that's that mindset. And, and let's be clear. We're not saying like, you know, be open and just take everything at face value. I think it's healthy to be skeptical. I think it's very healthy to be skeptical. Absolutely. It is unhealthy, however, to be cynical, right? And there's a fine line between those two. And so I I find that in life, when I am closed-minded, I miss opportunity. 
And when I'm open-minded, I find opportunity where I didn't expect it. And I think that there has to come a time where, um, you know, I I think you see this frequently um, happening on social media more and more is that people end up in a closed loop, I think is the name for it, where they just keep seeing information that validates their own conclusions as opposed to looking across across the spectrum of could this be different? Um, And I find if you start looking for Um, advice about finances, that depending on both income and net worth, who the, and I'm going to use quotes, trusted sources for financial advice, who, who they're turning to varies radically by both net worth and income, right? And some of that is because the marketing is targeted maybe to a specific demographic, but I think a large portion of it is because they're looking at their peers and they end up in a closed loop of people who are in the same brackets. And so what happens is if you're looking at all your neighbors and they're all doing the same thing, that's probably what you're going to do too, because you've gotten your social proof as opposed to looking at, okay, how do I find the people who have made multiple millions in their lifetime and who have high incomes that provide them freedom of lifestyle? What are they doing? Right. And not just what is one of them, like what is one person doing, but like, let's find a hundred people. And I think what happens is it's hard to get access to those people and we're intimidated. Right. I mean, talking to someone who has substantially more money than you about what you're doing with your money is scary because they might tell you that you're doing something stupid. Right. And then you, you feel like, oh, am I losing credibility or why would someone at that income level want to talk to me? And here's the thing that I know is that people who have had success in their life want to share it, right? Now they don't want people who are just standing there with a handout saying, give me, give me, give me, right? But if they find somebody who has potential, who they enjoy from a personal standpoint, they will frequently offer mentorship, right? And again, this goes to like being open-minded and reaching out when you need help and then finding the area, like the the groups or the areas that those people are gravitating to so that they do provide income. And I'm going to go back to this idea of growth mindset. Even if you have explored certain financial concepts before in your life and come to specific conclusions, if you upgrade the caliber of advisor that you are talking to, you might come to a totally different conclusion. And I say that because frequently when I look at some of the strategies that we talk about, Our clients will say, you know, I've heard about this from at least one or two other advisors, and I chose not to move forward because they couldn't explain it in a way that actually made sense, right? And they're like, now that I've had this conversation and I've seen the evidence and the data, I realize I probably should have done this 10 or 20 years ago, but I'm excited that I get to do it right now. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, right? (laughs) right? And it's frequently from people who've explored some of the concepts, but the person who was teaching it didn't have the knowledge base that they needed. So I'm going to stay away from taxes here, but I'm going to go through this really quickly because I think it's very important. What I want to talk about is the percentage of taxes paid by each income bracket. So if you look at the top 1% of all earners in the country, remember that's households earning over 540,000, they pay roughly 40% of all the taxes that are collected in the US. So this idea that the 1% doesn't pay taxes, I think is almost complete BS. 
the people I know that are not paying taxes are the 0.1%, right? Because they have completely different income sources and available deductions. But again, if you personally don't like paying taxes, it may be time to emulate what that top 0.1% is doing, right? right? And then uh, if you look at kind of the next tier down, the top 5% of the population which includes the top 1% of the population is paying about 60% of the taxes collected. So that means if the top 1% is paying 40% of the taxes, the next 4% below them is paying about 20% of all the taxes being collected. Right. So to I be- I think it's fascinating at that point, you drop to 10%. Uh, so that for that top 10%, so the top 1% is paying 40, top 5% inclusive of the top one is 60. And when you get down to the top 10, it's only about 70%, 71%, 71.37 technically. Mm-hmm. So that next 5% or that next 4% is really only paying another, what, 11%. Right. At 25, it's 86, almost 87%. And then at the 50% mark, that's about 97% of all the taxes being collected. And so when you start looking at the people who are in the top 25% of all earners in the country, they are responsible for paying almost 87% of the taxes being collected by the U.S. What that tells me is that if you are, if you have the potential to be wealthy, because remember, this is income, this is not net worth, and this is not necessarily passive income either, is that if you if you have the p- potential to become wealthy, you are going to be hit the hardest by taxes in this country. So the efficiency of your overall tax strategy and investment choices becomes incredibly important if you want to build wealth that is available for your lifetime and for that matter, the next generation. Because if you have the ability to build wealth, you get to personally make the choice of whether your family for generations stays in the middle class or moves into the upper classes. And I think a mistake that sometimes we make about money is that um, there's a quote, money is the source of all evil. And I think I'm actually misquoting that. It's the love of money is the source of all evil. Um, But I also think that capital is freedom. And so if you have capital and you look at it as a tool, because no tool, right? No tool is going to be good or evil. How you use the tool is what determines its morality. And I'm going to say that again. Right. If we look at money as just a tool, it is amoral, not immoral, amoral. It is not good or bad. It is what you do with the money that makes that determination. Right. And so if you want to be in a place where you are creating true wealth, you need to be tax sensitive. So, Eric, if you think of just kind of the top three places that you can get top like uh, that, you can get tax free. Uh, access to your money as it grows, what are the three things that come to mind? Yeah. And before I answer that question, not that we're going to go to commercial here, but I wanted to drop one more quote in because I I didn't want to miss it. There was a great quote, and I can't remember the book that it came out of, but he says, if you really think about it, how absurd it is, the the pressure and the, the awe and the inspiring thing that we put with money, is this change the word out money and put in hammers. 
says, the love of hammers is the root of all evil. Well, that's just ridiculous, right? right? The, <laughs> if I only had more hammers, I would be happy, right? And, and if you think through and you just replace it with whatever, whatever sentence is running through your brain when you think and talk to yourself about money, replace money with hammers and verify whether that makes sense or not. So the, the book that that came from um, is a book called Super Coach. Um, and I That's can't so remember the name yeah. of the author off the top of my head, but I will tell you in terms of evaluating your mindset about money, the chapter in that book, Super Coach, that discusses money is phenomenal for self-evaluation, yep. right? Yeah, it's, it was life-changing on that side. So back to your original question now that we're back from our paid sponsor. So the number three, three of the kind of the top uh, asset classes that we look at whenever we're thinking about sort of tax-free income on the way out. Uh, real estate is an amazing one. Uh, real estate is one of the coolest vehicles out there from a standpoint of being able to move money through, being able to generate money on the back end uh, in a very, very, very tax-efficient way. Uh, the second one off the top of my head is really a Roth IRA or what sometimes gets referred to when you're funding it as a backdoor Roth. Uh, and we can talk about that more in just a second, but Roth IRAs are great. You put the money in post-tax, you pay tax before you put it in, and the money grows tax-free all the way through as it's growing. And when you pull it out, you pull it out tax-free. And then the third one on that side, if it's structured right on the back end for income is insurance. Life insurance has a way to deliver income out on the back end without having to pay tax if you structure the, the flow correctly. And again, so th those to me are the easy three. And that is permanent policies that build cash value specifically. Correct. Right. Um, so right, yeah, term, I, term has no cash. So, yeah. Right. Right. It'll give you a tax free death benefit as long as it's within, Correct. you know, the, the currently decided uh, estate exclusion amount. Right. But um, it doesn't actually build the ability to access cash during your lifetime from a tax-free perspective. So we just kind of wanted to hit on some of those. If those are not things that you've explored before, we highly, highly recommend that you look into those things and see if it would be appropriate for your family. But again, right. the, the point of all of this is to understand, do you have the potential to be wealthy? I'm going to argue that regardless of where you fell in this income game, the answer is yes. If you were willing to have an open mind and approach, uh, approach money from a growth mindset and begin to learn ways that you can do that outside of maybe the traditional advice that's given on a day-to-day -day basis. Eric, do you want to add anything as we're wrapping up? Yeah, I'll close with one thing. Whenever I first saw this chart, uh, the, the mentor that showed this to me says, if you're in the top 25 all the way up to the top 1%, you may not feel wealthy, but there's a little underfunded organization called the IRS that thinks you are, uh, and, and you've got rings on your back and you don't work at Target. So uh, you've got to be smarter at that point because you're in the crosshairs. If, if we can help in any way, please reach out to us. You can find me at The Wealth Woman on Instagram or Facebook. Feel free to shoot me a DM um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And on Facebook and Instagram, I am Economics with Eric and you can DM me as, the, as well there. Thank you guys. Have a great day.